Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. Again, it's good to be in God's house with God's people. Two adventurers, John and Jack, were hunting for gold in the desert. And after roaming all day long under the hot sun, they set up their tent, they fell asleep. Some hours later, John woke up his friend. Jack, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Jack looked up and replied, I can see, I can see millions of stars. What does that tell you, asked Jack. Jack thought for a minute and he said, well, astronomically speaking, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. Chronologically, it appears to be approximately a quarter past three, and theologically, it's evident, it's evident that the Lord is all-powerful and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, it seems that we have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does, that, what does it tell you? After a moment of silence, John spoke. It tells me two things. First is that you're an idiot. And Jack looked at John surprised. Why do you say that, he said? Because it, because it had still not occurred to you that someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> Listen, sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees, right? We focus on the complicated, we miss the simple things, the things that are oftentimes right in front of us. And that's why we're starting this series that we are calling KISS. KISS. And KISS means keep. I didn't catch anybody this morning. (laughs) Keep it super simple because we're not calling anyone stupid, right? They said there are no stupid questions, but anyone who ever said there are no stupid questions never worked with youth. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Love you all. My name is Pastor Rick. I want to welcome you. Welcome those who are joining us online. Again, why are we doing this? Because I believe we have a tendency and a propensity to overcomplicate our lives in almost every area of our lives, from our friendships and dealing with our family, our finances, obviously our relationships, planning for the future. We make things more complicated than they need to be. I'm even told that on social media there used to be a uh, a classification called, in terms of relationships, called it's complicated. It's complicated. And some of you know what I'm talking about. People oftentimes will come and try to explain their situation to me. They'll come and, Pastor Rick, I got to talk to you. I said, okay. And they, and they try to explain the, the situation to me and the, and, the, and the reasons why they find themselves in a mess. And halfway through, the, they get to kind of stop and they sign and say, well, Pastor Rick, it's, it's complicated. And I say, yeah, I bet it is. I bet it is. Now, the question is, does it have to be? Does it have to be that complicated? And the answer I'm going to tell you is, in fact, it it doesn't. Because I believe a simple, uncomplicated life is a happy life. Come on, somebody. And even a a more peaceful life. You ever been, you ever seen those shows or been to someone who is a bit of a hoarder? You know, they've got 10, 15 things of stuff they don't need. The house is full of stuff that they will never use. They can't even find it. There's so many stuff in their house. In some places, it's so bad you can't even walk down the aisle. It's that bad. But they got this compulsion to keep bringing more and more stuff in. Well, I think that people tend to be spiritual hoarders. And they hold on to stuff that they don't need to be holding on to. Come on, somebody. They hold on to bitterness. They hold on to unforgiveness. They hold on to um, offenses. They collect offenses. We're going to talk about that today. When God is saying, listen, you need to let some stuff go. You need to, or, or, or they fill their calendars with stuff that doesn't matter. And then at the end of the week or the end of the day, they're just so exhausted. And sometimes I, I call them up, you know, they don't come to church. I'm just, I'm just so exhausted. Too, too tired, too tired for God. Too busy. No, that's no condemnation. I'm just saying, some people, they, their lives are so full of other stuff that it just complicates things. 
I was talking to my daughter, Amanda, a while ago, and we got on the subject of how people complicate their lives. And, and they seem to always, when things get complicated, they look at their, th- their lives negatively, and the glass is always half empty as far as they're concerned, no matter what's going on. And so her answer to me was, well, you know what I tell those people, Dad? I said, no, what do you tell them? She says, I turn to them and say, maybe you should get a smaller glass. I said, Amanda, that almost sounds biblical. John the Baptist said something similar. He said in John 3.30, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. How many know that's an easy one to memorize, right? Isn't that a good one? John 3.30. Think about that for a moment. He must increase, and I, matter of fact, say it with me. He must increase, and I must decrease. Now, therein lies the key, in my opinion, to keeping things super simple, you magnify the things that really matter, and you decrease the things that don't. You magnify Christ and his word, his teachings, the influence of the Holy Spirit in your lives, and you make the glass of selfishness, of self-focus, self-centeredness, you make that just a little bit smaller The answer to a complicated life is to simplify. Now, Jesus said it best, I think, when he was speaking to Martha. You remember when he came into town and and Martha decided to take him into the house, Mary and Martha, and and Martha started wandering around like a chicken without a head, and and Mary sat herself down in front of Jesus, and Martha got upset. Jesus, don't don't you care? Tell tell Mary to get up and help me. And and Jesus' response to her was, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. He said, but only one thing matters. Jesus Jesus reduced things down to the super simple. He said, there's only one thing that matters. What was was Mary doing? Mary was sitting down at the foot of Jesus. He says, and and what Mary is doing is the better thing. See, all that other stuff will always be around. But listening to Jesus, that's the most important thing. Amen? Mary had to figure it out. He said it again, Matthew 6.33 we know it's Jesus is speaking because it's in red in the Bible. Whenever you see red in the Bible, that's Jesus himself speaking. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God. What does it say? Above all else. The NIV says, seek ye first. First means first. Above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. It's that super simple. He says, all you need to do to get all your needs met is to put me first. That's easy to remember, isn't it? That's not complicated. He says, you put me first, and I will make sure that all these other things get taken care of. He went on to say, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Someone say, keep it super simple. Say it. Keep it super simple. And so with that in mind, we're going to be discussing ways to look at our everyday situations through the simple lenses of God's word and his truth. And and so we're going to be tackling different subjects and try to simplify it by looking at God's word. Does that make sense? Looking at what Jesus says about that subject looking about what the scriptures say about it. Today, we're going to talk about conflict resolution, problems within our lives, the things that cause us to trigger, and how we handle it. Before we do, let's look at this video. It's called, It's Complicated, When You Don't Get Along.
Now, have any of you ever found yourself saying stuff like that? I promise you as a pastor, I've heard all this stuff. I've heard all this stuff among the redeemed, among the chosen ones. It happens within the church. And so the Bible gives us some solutions. But the question is, is what do you do when, when you just can't get along? And as you saw, conflict can and does arise for any reason. All you need is two strong opposing opinions. That's all you need. And that can be found in every area of our life, every situation, every station, from our marriages. Anybody marriage, you never have any conflicts? Don't raise your hand because I think you're lying if you say that. No conflicts. I never have no conflicts in my marriage. <laughs> within your family, within your community, within your church, all this stuff arises. It can include things as simple as children fighting over toys in a playpen to parents going crazy at a Little League game. I'm not going to raise my hand on that one. Ricky, say nothing. <laughs> not talking about him, talking about me. To old guys fighting over dominoes at a park. Conflict can be found at, at every station in our life. The question is, again, what do you do about it? Is there a right and a wrong way to handle it, especially when it starts when it starts to hit us where it really hurts. I mean, when we see conflicts happening on the other side of the world, well, that's happening over there. Russia and problems in, on the news, that's somebody else. But what happens when it, it hits you square in the face, when, it, when it's right in, in your face where you live, a problem at your work or with your coworkers, your boss, problems at your house, with your family, with your friends, at your church? That's when it becomes close, up close and personal. Again, where do we go from there? So come, let's kind of remind ourselves of what the Bible taught us on how to maintain uh, uh, friendships or, or, or good boundaries within the church, even among ourselves, and keeping things super simple in the areas where it hits us at home. And so if the conflict is related to, to the people that you know, how do you handle it? For some of us, when people get on our last nerve, what do we try to do? We, we put them in a bubble. Well, you can stay over there. I'm going to come over here. Or we talk about, we, we say, well, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you, but I'm going to pray for you from a distance. Or we, we say often things, we say bad things about them. But is that the correct way to deal with things? Well, the Bible talks about us being a family of believers. Amen. you believe that? Amen. And so as a family, the Bible calls us to a, a new level of relationship. And it simplifies things for us. The, the Bible wants us to be not just friends, but good friends toward one another. And a good friend will do certain things. A good friend is faithful during good times and bad. Faithful during good times and bad. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at, what does it say? All times. All times. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Now, that's the biblical picture of a true friend. They love at all times, and the Scripture says a brother is born for adversity. What does that mean? Well, in the body of Christ, again, we're supposed to be a family of believers. Listen to me. If God is your father, then you are my brother and my sisters. Hello. I know we've gotten, kind of gotten away from that. In the church I grew up in, that's what we call each other, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so to kind of remind us that we are a family of believers. Amen? And so the scripture says, and a brother and a sister in Christ is supposed to be made for adversity. What's adversity mean? Some would say hard times. Difficult situations going on in our lives. And so when it speaks about us being there, we're not supposed to just be what I call fair-weather friends, those who are around for the good times in life, uh, we're supposed to be there for the, all the times in people's lives. I think the scripture refers to it as becoming a burden sharer. Burden sharer. A burden sharer is not just there for the parties in life and the photo ops. A burden sharer is there for those difficult times, those late, those late night battles, those, 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 I call them those 3 a.m. friends. Come on, somebody. But you can call them at 3 a.m. because you are going through a battle and you need prayer and you need it right now and it ain't going to affect the friendship. Amen? 
And so, and so that's what it's supposed to be with the times when, when, you're, when you're in the hospital, those times of sorrows. In other words, they, they, they help shoulder some of the burdens of life. That's what a real friend does. They take the scripture seriously. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, share each other's burdens. And in this way, you obey, what does it say? The law of Christ. Does anybody remember what the law of Christ is? We covered it. How many say it again? Say it out loud. To love one another. He says, by this you shall know that you are my disciples or, or Christians, by your love for one another. And so the Bible says when we share each other's burdens, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of love toward one another. Then it goes on to say something profound. It says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. <laughs> there we go. I like the Apostle Paul. He just kind of lays it out for us. So this, 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 this law of Christ or the sharing of each other's burdens should be normal among the body of Christ. If you want to see an example of that, you can look at the Old Testament uh, with uh, the relationship between Jonathan and David. Remember those two? Uh, and King Saul. Saul, who became uh, jealous of the anointing on David, went into a jealous rage, wanted to kill him. But Jonathan, Saul's son, was a friend of David. And, and, and refused, even though his father was the king, refused to turn on his friend, even when things got difficult. A good friend will be faithful during all seasons of life, will be a burden bearer. But having said that, a good friend will also recognize the need for space. Someone say space. space. Proverbs 25, 17, listen to this. And when you find a friend, don't outwear your welcome show up at all hours, and he'll soon get fed up. <gasps> Someone said, keep it simple. Now listen to me. Dude, I love you, but give me some breathing room. You've heard it said you, you don't have to talk every day with a good friend, right? Or every week, but when you do, it's like picking up right where you left off. That's a good friend. And the truth is, every friendship needs breathing room, and a good friend will recognize that and not go into a full-on meltdown when he or she doesn't, isn't at the beck and call of the other guy or the other woman. Amen? Does that make sense? And if that's what you require in a friendship, you're going to wear out that friendship. You're going to wear it out. And again, today, you know, that scripture says, talks about showing up day or night or all hours, and he'll soon get fed up. Today, how, how, how do we show up at all hours? Someone hold up your, your cell phones. Come on, somebody. Your cell phones, your, your um, direct messaging, your texting. All right? So it applies to that as well. Don't wear out your welcome by contacting somebody every single day. Friends are there for emergencies, but not every day is an emergency. Does that make sense? Uh, also, a good friend, they're open and honest. Open and honest. Like the previous story we just read, a good friend will let us know when we're acting and talking stupid. These are the folks in your life that tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Proverbs 25, I mean 27, 5 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, Again, you would think that it would be the opposite. The person who's multiplying kisses is the loving one. The person who's telling you, you're okay, everything is fine, and they're just telling you what you want to hear. In our society, that's the loving one. And the one who comes with the rebuke, that's the one that's unloving. But the difference is the one with the rebuke is bringing the truth. And the one who's multiplying kisses is basically lying to you and setting you up for failure. We've seen examples of this with... Uh, what is that, the American Idol, right? Remember that, that show that was on? And, the, and the, the people would get on national te television, millions of people are watching, and they get out there, and the judges are in front of them, and they, and they say, okay, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to do this song. And I, are, you okay? are you good with this? Yes, I'm awesome. But listen, listen, listen. And they get up, and they open their mouth, and <laughs> they're horrible. And then the judge will say, excuse me, uh, you know, maybe you should go back and, you know, try a different profession. 
or something along those lines. They get all upset and they get, they get all bent out of shape because, because somebody was blowing smoke all their lives and telling them these people could sing and then now they're in front of everybody and millions of people are watching and they embarrass themselves. Watching a, a, a model show with my wife the other day, teen models. And this one young girl went on there and she was you know, acting like you know, she was it. She was the one. I'm going to win this. And then, it didn't take me long. I mean, my wife was like three things in, and I looked, and there was like, you know, six girls. And not to be comparing, but immediately, I'm like, I look at the girls, I'm like, she's not a model. <laughs> and my wife says, you should hear her mouth, the way she's back-talking and bad-mouthing these other words. And she thinks she's the one. I'm like, there's no way that girl's going to win. And sure enough, she kept losing and losing. Then you see the tears, oh, and her mama kept blowing smoke. Lying to her and telling her what, you know, she wasn't bad looking, but when you, listen, I can play basketball, but I'm never going to be in the NBA. You understand what I'm saying? And so for you to tell me, oh, Patrick, you're an NBA star, you're lying to me. A good friend, listen to me, will tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Because the ones who are multiplying kisses are basically lying to you and setting you up for failure. And personally, I'd rather be told what I need to hear over just what I want to hear. Amen? Amen. And that, by the way, is true of me personally, but it's also true politically. Some of you need to open up your, your figure things out <laughs> concerning politically and spiritually. And it's also predicted prophetically. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to right teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. Come on, somebody. And what's the craze today? They're looking for people who look at a man, and, and the man says, well, I think I'm a woman. And then they say, okay, you're a woman. Or a woman who, who says, well, God made a mistake, well, I'm a man. Or they want you to say that a, that a man could have a baby. All of these are lies. But they're amassing to themselves people who will tell them what they want to hear. It reminds me of the time when uh, I had a, before COVID a few years ago, the church was packed out. And then we, I had a couple come in, a homosexual couple. Very nice, very respectful. And they came for a few weeks. They sat over there. And then after a while, I got a phone call. They want to meet with the pastor. I said, okay, and, and it was obvious because one, some, some people who, who practice homosexuality, you can't tell, but some you can tell. Come on, somebody. You can tell just by looking at them, and it was two guys, and they wanted to meet. I said, Can, have them come in, so they went, went to my office, and he said to me, he says, okay, so, so what is this meeting for? He says, Pastor, we wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, within your church, we are asking that we are not just tolerated, oh, no, tolerated, but we are, oh, no, it's not, not just tolerated, but embraced, something like that. That's what he said. And I said, well, what do you mean? Has anyone been, you know, disrespecting you or anything like that? No, we, we love it here. We've been coming for a few weeks. I said, so, so what do you mean you want to be not just tolerated, but embraced? Well, I can sing, and I want to come up, and I want to be part of the worship team, and I want to be, make it into leadership positions and all these other things. I said, well, you're probably, we can talk about the worship, but, we, but you're probably not going to end up on the leadership team at this church. Well, why is that? I said, because you're, you're practicing homosexuality. He says, yes. I said, and, and he says, well, and, and I said, that's a sin. He says, well, Pastor Rick, I think that you guys are misinterpreting the scriptures. I said, I call his name. I'm not going to call it because this is recording. I said, um, so-and-so, I said, if you can show me, because it says it in more than one place. It says it in several places that it's a sin, Old Testament and New Testament. I said, but if you can show me where I, I'm misinterpreting the scriptures, I said, I'll not only apologize to you, I'll get on my knees before this church on my knees and apologize to them. And he looked at me, and they were quiet. 
Because, see, you know, there's no scriptures. If you take it in context, it says what it says. I didn't write it. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger. But then, he's, but then I turned around and said, but you know what? They, they, will have, they have churches out there that not only tolerate you but embrace you. And the other guy said, who was sitting on my couch, he says, we've been to those churches. I said, okay. He says, and then he says, they're not telling the truth. I said, what? They're not telling the truth. Oh. And so, instinctively, you've gone to churches who not only will tolerate you but embrace you, but in your heart, you know they're lying to you. And yet, you're here asking me to lie to you. Does that make sense? So, I said, listen. I called their names. I said, listen, I don't have a, a dog in this fight at all. I, you know, I'm just a messenger. Again, I'll just, I not only apologize to you, but to them. I love you, brother. I love both of you. And you are welcome at this church because all sinners are welcome at this church. Amen. I said, in terms of leadership, that's not going to happen until it starts to line up with what the Word of God says. But if anyone mistreats you, let me know, and I will deal with it. No one will because every, everyone here is a, is a loving person. And so they came. They came for, for a while. And then... And then I, one week later, I get a phone call. I get a phone call from the guy's mother in my office. I'm like, oh, no. Pastor Rick, so-and-so is on the phone, says it's so-and-so's mother. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get it. <laughs> She's going to give me a piece of her mind. So I said, all right, put it through. He says, Pastor Rick, yes, yes, ma'am, it is. I'm so-and-so's mother. I said, okay, nice to meet you. I just want to tell you, and then I'm preparing for it, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be put on blast. I know I'm going to get put on blast. I just want to tell you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why are you thanking me? She said, because my son was raised in a Christian home, and he's now taken on this lifestyle, and he's been going from church to church looking for people who will tell him what he wants to hear. And, and he told me the way you said it in the loving way you told him. And you told him not what he wanted to hear, but what he needed to hear. So she said, thank you. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. But a time is coming and probably is now upon us when people don't want to hear what the words say. They want, they want to hear what they want to hear. And they'll get upset if you don't tell them what they want to hear. That's how it is out there today. And, and that's why their lives are complicated. Because they don't stand for the simple truth of what God's word says anymore in their lives. And as a pastor, ultimately, ultimately my job is to love on God's people and to teach them the truth of what the Bible says. And if I truly love you, I'm going to teach you not just what I want, want to say, but what, but what it says. I'm going to teach what it says. That's the most loving thing I can do. Amen? And it's the same with friendships. A real friend will openly rebuke you in private in a way that honors God rather than, than take, you, take on a position or, 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 or go in, in, in a direction that will eventually hurt you just by allowing you to do whatever you want to do. Now listen to me. The people who only tell you what you want to hear, listen to me. They're not your real friends. They're just not. And the scripture t t tells us that the word of God, and we'll look at one of those, has the ability to, to, to train us in, in all righteousness or right living. So one of the best places to, to get truth is to jump into one of our life groups. And by the way, there's life groups starting this week. Come on, somebody. And you're all invited to, to, to jump in and, and become a part of that because it's an opportunity to get around God's people and, and speak spiritual truths to one another, and, and you speak to them, and they'll speak to you. And this is what Proverbs 27, 17 says. As iron, matter of fact, read it, out with, read it out loud with me now. One, two, three, go. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Amen? And so, again, we want to encourage you to jump into those life groups. It's the one that's starting this week is called The Gospel Above All. It's on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. It's eight weeks, eight weeks. Someone say eight weeks. Eight, eight weeks. It's an eight-week commitment. Come, uh, 
be a part of that, focus on the simple gospel above all other distractions in our life. And then Surge Youth is starting back up. Come on, somebody. Yes. That's the middle and high schoolers, and, and they're jumping into a, a message um, and a pizza party. Oh, pizza party. I think I might, I might show up for that. But a pizza party um, also, and a message they're calling this or that, how to biblically break the cycle of comparisons. There will be child care for the next uh, eight weeks as well. And so we want to encourage you to jump into the Bible studies and to bring your young ones to the, to, to the youth events as well. The sign-up cards, sign up, turn them in. So what do you do when conflicts arise, especially among your friends, and disappointment starts to set in when those, what we call those warm fuzzies go out the window and that iron sharpens iron, uh, scripture doesn't feel cool anymore because it's starting to feel like a sword fight? Anyone ever been there? Like Job's buddies who came along at a really difficult time in Job's life? and gave him a bunch of bad advice. Come on, somebody. Those guys weren't good friends. All right, so the Bible gives us uh, real simple answers to dealing with difficult conflicts in our lives. And I want you to start to write these down. We're going to go through them quickly. Number one is to pursue peace. Pursue peace. Isaiah 32, 17 says, The fruit of righteousness will be, help me out, somebody, will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. And so as far as God is concerned, when conflicts arise, the goal should be peace. Peace in the church, peace among your family, peace among your friends, peace at work. The goal should be peace. Anybody likes conflict? Don't raise your hand because it doesn't make sense. There are people who like conflict. But the goal should be peace. Hebrews um, 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. James 3, 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in, in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. What does it say? Full of mercy. Full of mercy. And good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so again, key word there is be a peacemaker. Number two, we want to follow God's word. Follow God's word. Psalms 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. And this is what his word says in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in whose life? life. Someone say my own. (laughs) What's wrong in my life? It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's why we want to spend time in God's word. Amen? How many know God's got a plan? And a lot of it he wrote down. But so many of us are taking God's word and we're just ignoring it. For so many of us, the level of dust that's on our Bibles is ridiculous. Dust that thing off, open it up, start in the New Testament. It says, all scripture is inspired by God, it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Amen? And so... When we bring correction or if we have to confront for whatever reason, we, should not, we shouldn't just bring our opinion. We should try to share what God's word says on the matter. And this is what God says about conflict resolution. These are the, 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 the keep it simple instructions, particularly about conflict resolution in the church. Jesus speaking again, it's in red. He says, if another believer sins against you in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, go privately... And point out the offense. 
If the other person listens and confesses it, you, you have won that person. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two other, others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if or he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. And so as it relates to conflicts within the church and things arising, because we all have these issues, okay, from time to time, Jesus gave us an outline as, as to how to deal with it. The first thing he said was to go privately or be discreet. Be discreet. Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. So private means what? Private. It means you ain't in, in, including a whole bunch of other people. You have an issue with somebody within the church that says go privately to that person. People come to me oftentimes, they're, they're called a pastor. Something happens in the church, and immediately they call a pastor, and it's between somebody, one person in the church over another person, and they say they've got this issue going on. And my question is always the same, always the same, always the same. What do I ask them? Did you talk to the person? Uh, well, no, I'm talking to you. Well, why don't you try talking to them first? Because the Bible says, Jesus says, it, it could be resolved at that level. Go privately to that person. That's your first step. Many people don't want to do that because they'd rather go to the principal. Come on, somebody. Or they'd rather talk about somebody rather than talking to them. That's a problem. That's when things get complicated because that's when your name, you start hearing your name come up from other people because instead of going to that person, you went to five other people about that other person. And so... We need to go to that person. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a big misunderstanding. Oftentimes, and you, and you go privately, discreetly to that person, and the issue is resolved. But sometimes that doesn't work. And so if it doesn't work, you go to the next level. What does the Bible say? It says take one or two other people with you. But if you are unsuccessful, verse 16, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And so in the church, that, that would look like, okay, if I'm having an issue within one of my ministries, uh, let's say it's Pastor Sean's ministry, uh, and someone in there, so you'll go to maybe a spiritual leader, you'll go to Pastor Sean, or you take another uh, spiritual person in the church to, to go to that person. And, and always be willing to listen. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And slow to get angry, your anger can never make things right in God's sight. My pastor used to say, there's a reason why God gave you two ears and just one mouth. Come on, somebody. Amen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And don't do what a lot of guys do and while they're trying to they want, they want to win their argument. And so instead, while they pretend to listen, they're actually just thinking about what they're going to say after you're done talking. Be willing to listen. Because the goal at the end of the day is restoration. Galatians 6.1, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. A lot of times we, we want to start pointing fingers. And the Bible says you, but when you bring correction, you go humbly and be careful that you're not going to fall into those same temptations. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So you want to bring someone who's wiser. Again, when you go to that person, this is not a hunting party or posse. The purpose is to establish truth and to get godly counsel and to bring restoration in an atmosphere of peace. And perhaps restore the person who's causing the problems. Problem solved. But if that doesn't work, the scripture says take it to the third level. All right? Because the second thing, I, I, maybe sometimes at this level, I, you know, I'll get the call. Have you gone to the person? Yes, Pastor Rick. Well, what ministry are you involved with? I'm involved with the children's ministry. Have you talked to the, to the leader of the children's ministry? Have you talked to Pastor Sean? Take it to the next step. Don't automatically jump to, let me tell let me tell on them, okay? Deal with it at that level, all right? But if that doesn't work, the scriptures that say tell it to the church or expose it. 
He says, if the person will refu- refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. And so tell it to the church means, listen to me, tell it to the church leaders <laughs> first. Okay? That's the implication. Tell it to the church leaders. That's when I should get the phone call, or Pastor Sean, or Pastor Steve. That's when they're called. Now, I stress that for a couple of reasons. One, people like to skip step one and two and jump right to three. And again, what am I going to say? Have you, help me out, somebody. Are you paying attention? Have you talked to the person properly or discreetly? Have you brought a spiritual leader with you, you know, someone within your group? But if you've done all those, then you tell me, tell us. Now, now again, the, the, I, I stress tell it to the church leaders because a few years ago, we had a dispute in our church. We had a couple hundred people come in at the time, and one person contracted with another person in the church to do some computer work and paid them. And the other person didn't complete the work. And so the next thing you know, one Sunday morning, I'm about to go preach, and all of a sudden I get this email that went out to everyone that he could get hands on, to the entire church, putting that person on blast and what a wicked and nasty person he is in the whole nine yards. This was on Sunday, this was on a Sunday morning, and then standing out there handing out emails. And so immediately after church, I called them both in. And I said, what is going on? And he says, well, well, I'm just going by Matthew, the the scripture, where it says go to the person and then bring another one and then tell it to the church. I said, tell it to the church means tell it to the church leaders. It doesn't mean air out your grievances (laughs) among the the entire body of Christ. And, and then I will decide, the leadership will decide what goes out. And I promise you, if something's going on and it's petty, I am not going to waste a Sunday morning on these stupid little issues because I'm going to use this time to talk about Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so I'm not trying to stir up the body of Christ, which, you, this, which is exactly what you have done. And so I asked him, I said, listen, what, how, how, much, did he, how much did you pay him to do this work that prompted you to send out this whole letter to the entire church. He said, and I'm thinking it had to be $3,000, $5,000. He's he's $5,000, $10,000 worth of upset. It was $150. I said, you involved the whole church for the price of sneakers? See, if you'd have come to me first for the sake of peace, I would have paid you not to do this nonsense. In the future, don't do it again. He got so upset, he stormed out. Because his goal wasn't peace. His goal was to stir up nonsense in the body of Christ. Come on, somebody. And so the first step is to go privately or discreetly to the person. The second step is to bring a spiritual person, and maybe that will work, and the goal is restoration and peace. And then it says tell it to the church, and the implication is tell it to the church leadership. And then sometimes, listen to me, sometimes that will do it. Okay, let's work it out in the pastor's office. We'll have a conference. We'll work it out. A lot of times that is squashed at that level, but sometimes it's not. And there's clearly somebody who's in the wrong, and they're stirring up problems within the church. And as a spiritual um, covering of this church, spiritual leadership of this church, our goal is what? Is to have peace and unity among the body of Christ. And if one person or one party refuses to repent or stop doing what they're doing, they will be asked to leave. Problem solved. Does that make sense? And then we're going to continue with the work that God's called us to It's called Keep It Super Simple. Amen? And so all the helpful scriptures as it relates to dealing with conflicts, not just within the church, but within your life. Number one is to kind of hold your tongue. 
Proverbs 10, 19 says, when your words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. We should do an exercise. They got your tongue and hold your tongue, but that, that, don't do it, don't do it. How many of you know that you don't always have to give a piece of your mind? Pastor Rick, I was just giving them a piece of my mind. You know what I always say? You keep giving away pieces of your mind, you might need part of that mind one day. <laughs> hold on to some of it. You don't always have to say what comes in your head. Matter of fact, the Bible says the person who does that, sin is right there, but if you hold your tongue, We don't always, someone said, take, take, a, take a deep breath. Yeah, we don't always have to say what's on our mind. Secondly, we, we shouldn't be abusive. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And so, just personally speaking, as far as I'm concerned, when the insults start flying, especially at me, conversation's over. You understand? If you can't say what you need to say without insulting and cursing and all that other stuff, I got a button to just, we come back to this. I'm done. Because if I come back at you the same way, that eye for an eye, that tooth for a tooth, what, all that's going to do is leave, leave everybody blind and toothless. <laughs> you ever been to England? Speaking of toothless, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> so hold your tongue and don't be abusive, all right? especially with your language. Number three, deal with it quickly. Ephesians 4.26, and don't sin by letting anger control you, and don't let the sun go down while you are angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now help me out, somebody. It says don't sin by letting anger control you, and don't, it says, let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. How long does it take for the sun to go up and go down? Come on, help me, help me. Twelve hours. Twelve hours? We can maybe 24. It's no more than a 24-hour cycle, right? Depending on where you are on the, on the planet. And so the Bible gives us a, a simple instructions how to deal with anger and offenses. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's a 24-hour period. Now ask yourself, how many of you are holding on to grievances and offenses for days and weeks and months and years? There's some people holding on to for grievances of things that were done 30 years ago, and the people are dead. And the Bible says, when you hold on to this stuff, you're like a spiritual hoarder <laughs> collecting garbage that you don't need. And one of the garbages that you don't need, it says it opens the door for the devil. It literally says a vacancy sign in your heart. Anybody want the devil in their lives? I don't want the devil in my life. He's a troublemaker. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he simplifies it and says, don't let the sun go down. You don't know what she said. You don't know what he said. You don't know what he done. <laughs> and you let bitterness and anger and unforgiveness pile up. And that door, that spiritual door, opens long, wider and wider. And the devil says, oh, <laughs> I don't even have to knock. The door is open. 
I'm just going to come on in and steal your peace and rob you of your joy because you refuse to simplify in that area and just let things go. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And God knows what's up. He knows you belong to him for those who belong to him. And he knows how to take care of his own. Remember when, uh, when Paul, who was Saul, was going to abuse the, 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 the people in the church, and Jesus knocked them down? <laughs> and he says, Saul, Saul why, why are you, you know, coming after me? He says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. And Jesus had already arisen. He had already ascended. But, he's, but to the extent that Paul was mistreating the church, got God's attention. God knows how to take care of his own. Matter of fact, it would be better if you would hold your tongue Step out of the way and let God deal with them. Because God's reach is a lot farther than yours. And the way you let God deal with them is this next one, be in prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Does everything mean everything? I mean, does everything mean everything? Can you pray about where you le left your keys? Where your glasses are? I mean, I do that all the time. And the Spirit says, Spirit says, it's on your head. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry to bother you. And even big things, right? We think of only big things. Only big things. World hunger. As far as I'm concerned, everything means everything. What's going on with your husband? Why does he all of a sudden have an attitude? Or your wife? Well, I'll show him. I'll show her. How about you? You pray about it. Everything. And rather than taking matters into your own hands, don't, 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 don't send me any letters either. Brother Rick, you're picking on me today. I, I, whatever's happening today is the Lord. This was the message. I, I, this was the message that was coming today. I'm, I didn't have anyone in, in particular in mind. Come on, somebody. Amen. I've had that. I've I preached messages where people come up to me afterwards and say, why did you, you, you prepare that message for me? Why would you say that? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like this. 200 people in this church. You think I sat down and prepared a message just for you? <laughs> Brother, maybe the Lord's talking to you. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. This is don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Things, things, look at me. Pray about what you need and thank him for all he's done. Think, things, are, things may be bad, but they're not all bad. We all have reasons to thank God no matter what's going on. Does that make sense? And so with every prayer encounter that I have with God, I can pray about my need. I say, okay, Lord. And I can thank him for the things he's already done. Put a roof over my head. I woke up this morning. <laughs> I got a few people in my life that love me. I may have a few aches and pains, but I'm still going. <laughs> I got a car to drive. It has AC. When I first started my journey, my car didn't have no AC. And then he graduated me to a better car. There's always things to be thankful for. And then it says, and then, verse 7, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live, not visit, live in Christ Jesus. I heard a preacher say this. It was profound because it just went off in my spirit. He says, I stopped asking people if they're Christians. How many of you know 70% of America claims to be Christians? 
How many know 70% of America aren't Christians? They just claim to be Christians, but they're not. He says, I, I ask people now, because I've done this in the past, if you are, are you a Christ follower? How many know there's a difference? So the, the person who claims to be a Christian, they went to a VBS or they said a prayer, and then they went ahead and they started living their life. They, they, you can tell they don't love Jesus. But no one who's not a Christ follower says, I'm, oh, I'm a Christ follower. That will, that will separate things. The Bible says this peace comes to those who live in Christ Jesus. Not visit, not just said a prayer, not just, you know, on, on, on my Sunday morning Christian and then the rest of the week I do whatever I, whatever I want. It's the people who live there and hang out and actually try to follow him. Doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're forgiven and your heart wants to please him in all that you do. And he understands that our feet are made of clay. God knows what he's getting. He knows that we're not perfect. And he loves us anyway. Thank you, Jesus. And so he imparts his grace on us because he loves us. And he says, we're the apple of his eye. Why does he love us? I don't know. He just does. And he wants to see good happen to us. That's a God worth following. And so it says, peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So instead of complaining, and what's the Jewish word? Kvetching and all this other stuff, the Bible says pray about everything. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What do we pray for? Pray for your situation. Pray for the person who's causing all these things in your life. It's hard for bitterness to form toward anything or anyone as long as you stay in prayer. Luke 28 says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. Again, why do we want to do this? Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Child of God, we need to keep things simple as it relates to the conflicts in our lives. It's not that complicated. If you stray from what the Word of God teaches, that's when things start to get complicated and your life starts to look like a spiritual hoarder because you're collecting things that really doesn't need to be there. Martha, Martha, you're worried and anxious about a lot of things. Really, there's only one thing that matters. And Mary has decided, chosen the better. And what did Mary decide to do? When Jesus came to town, she sat down at his feet. And she listened to what he had to say. Because what Jesus has to say will absolutely set us free. Amen. We shall know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. God calls us into a relationship. He wants to be the primary in our lives. If I seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, he says all these things will be added. We just got to put them first. And so are you putting them first, or is it an afterthought? Where is he in your list of priorities? If you want your needs met, raise him to the top spot and watch him move because he knows more about what you need than what you think you need. And his spirit has a way of saying, oh, slow down, stop, 
Go in this direction. No, go, go that way. Stay still. Oh, they said something to offend you? Hold your tongue. Leave room for me. I'll deal with them. Now watch this. When God deals with somebody, he might not deal with them the way you think. Because he's a good and loving God. He might just break their hearts and give them a heart after him. Amen? That's not what I meant you, what you wanted you to do, God. I wanted you to bless him with a brick. No, no. <laughs> just leave room for God. Sometimes God will bless people right out your life. <laughs> they just move on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And the closer you get to him, the more you start to trust him and understand that I don't have to worry about anything. I just have to pray about everything. And the peace of God. Who wants peace? Who wants consistent peace? A peace that surpasses all understanding. That means people look at your life and it don't make sense why you're at peace. Because they don't know your God. The situation looks crazy on the outside, but you've got peace. No, God's going to work it out. It happened to me one time, and I'm closing. Things got super crazy. I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And a lady came with the word of God. The Lord told me to tell you that no weapon forced against you will prosper. Not by any man or any devil. And I was in the middle of a firestorm. It looked like anything was about to take me out. But that word, when it came to me, it went off in my spirit. And as the devil was raging around me, I took that word as if it was currency from heaven. And I started declaring that. No weapon forced against me shall prosper, not by any man or any devil. And I made that my declaration. And as the devil raged and the peace of God captured my heart, I just kept saying that. And guess what? Guess what happened? That storm blew in and that storm blew out. And I was still there. <laughs> so, listen, God's not a, 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 he's not a, he doesn't prefer one person over the other. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. That's the kind of relationship he wants for all of us, for you to recognize and understand that he's got your back. We don't have to complicate our lives by, oh, I got to do this, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this. Martha, Martha, you're upset about, anxious about a lot of things. It's really only one thing that matters. Jesus. Someone say Jesus. We come to a close if we've not yet accepted him as your Savior and your Lord. It's going to be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of committing to him. So at the end of the day, that's the only, that's the only thing that matters. I don't care what else, whatever else is going on in your life. You and Jesus can handle it together. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Say something like this. Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I acknowledge my need for a Savior. Forgive me for taking things into my own hands concerning the conflicts in my life and dealing with anxieties. Help me to cast all my cares on you and to be a reflection of your grace and your mercy to the world around me, especially the people that you placed in my life. Help me to trust you to deal with the conflicts and the situations that come my way. Forgive me for the sins. If you've not yet accepted Jesus as your Lord, say, Lord, come into my life, come into my heart. From this day forward, I surrender my life to you. And I want to be a Christ follower, not just today, but every day. 
In Jesus' name, I pray. And we all say, amen and amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.